Welcome to Making the Shift, where we use Jesus' life as a model for building disciple-making movements rather than maintaining ministry. We join with other leaders from around the world to explore practical ways you can make the shift today. Thank you for joining us for Episode 3. In this episode, you'll hear more of John North's personal journey into developing and adopting the Shift M2M framework. We'll wrestle with the question, is it okay to take a chronological approach to Scripture? And we'll share with you some practical tools from the life of Jesus that you can use whilst leading in our current COVID normal. Follow us so you can join in on all of the great conversations coming up as Bill connects with many leaders from around the world, exploring what they have learned from Jesus' life about making the shift. Well, welcome to Making the Shift, and I really would like to welcome my dear friend, John North, who's here with us today. John, welcome. It's great to have you with us on one of our earliest episodes. Thanks, Bill, and hello, everyone. John, I know that we've introduced you already now as you've been a partner with Shift M to M since its beginning, but I have enjoyed so much working with you, and I know I probably said something a bit cheeky to you in the early days, but it was out of my admiration for your Bible teaching, your speaking, your evangelism training. You know, you, you've got a high profile and a, a tremendous level of credibility as someone that handles the word well across the body of Christ. So I want to affirm that in you, my friend. I hold you in high regard. Uh, in fact, I do remind you that for those years that I was national director of our organization, I could not get a gig at my own student conferences because they always had, <laughs> who? John North was the main speaker. <laughs> so I used to go along anyway and just get blessed by your teaching. Those were great days. They were. Tell us a bit about yourself. What, what, what do we need to hear a little bit about your background in order to get inside who you are and where you're coming from? Well, for more than 25 years now, I've been working with Ambassadors for Christ International here in Australia, and my ministry focus has been helping churches become more effective in evangelism. In addition to that, I speak, preach, teach at many places. I do radio spots in the morning, every morning on weekdays with Hope 103.2 and do a little bit of writing as well. Yeah, I think uh, uh, understating that, you're a prolific writer of Christian materials, a number of courses that you've done personally or, or with others that are helping people either find Jesus or new believers grow in Jesus. It's a rich, rich resource. John, your involvement with us in Shift M to M over these years, since since its beginning, in fact, I know that when we first had our conversation, and we've alluded to this in one of our other episodes, we kind of discovered together the value of looking at Jesus as our model of a movement building leader. And that was aided by looking at a chronological approach to the life of Christ. Now, I'm just wondering from your perspective as a student of the word, what was it that captured you in that early beginning of looking at a chronological approach to the Gospels? And, and how did that refresh your approach to things? Well, I sure do remember. I remember when you first talked to me and invited me to get involved with you in Shift M to M. 
And we started meeting and you started sharing with me what you had gotten out of a chronological look at the life of Jesus. I'd been to Bible college for four years and got my bachelor's degree and then five more years postgraduate study in seminary in America and had studied the life of Christ academically numerous times, but it had always been sort of geographically centered, you know, the early Galilean ministry of Jesus and the later Judean ministry and kind of what was happening there and the growing conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees that led to his crucifixion. But what really struck me as we were looking at Jesus' life chronologically was the strategy involved in Jesus' development of his spiritual movement. And I'd never considered Jesus' life that way. I'd never thought about him in the area of strategy. It had always been, well, Jesus is about how to respond to people well and having grace and Mm. the mix of grace and truth and kind of the fruit of the Spirit in a person, you know. Uh, I'd never thought of strategy. And I realized in looking at Jesus' life chronologically that you can really ask those strategy questions. And that that had a big impact on me and immediately made me think, okay, I want to be involved in this, both to help others work through movement building strategy, but also for myself. I really wanted to grow in this. And uh, that locked me in. And I was eager for every time we got together to look at that. I can remember those those early days as we uh, co-facilitated some shift cohorts. It was just so enriching. Our conversations in between the teaching times was rich, rich, rich as we were kind of digging in and discovering afresh things from the life of Christ that you don't see unless you ask that particular question. That's right. And apart from those Bible college courses where we kind of walked through you know, where Jesus was going and what he was doing. I had never gone back to think chronologically about Jesus, and it hadn't really become a part of my focus to Hmm. recognize that the gospel writers each were making a theological point about Jesus and organizing the events of Jesus' life in a way that made their point. And although there was, of course, the loose chronology, start with his birth, end with his death and resurrection, that actually vastly different ways of organizing Jesus' life in each of the Gospels. Mm. And that when you actually pull those things out and put them in chronological order, things are very different. And it brings a whole new perspective on Jesus' life. So I'm really grateful to you, Bill, for helping me see that and all the insight that's come to me since then. Well, I actually do remember feeling a little bit nervous because when I was approaching you about it and just wanting to sound you out and to see whether or not you'd have interest in actually teaming up with us in this project, I had some nerves because I know that in some circles, particularly academic theology, some people almost are dismissive of a chronological approach to Jesus. It's if Jesus is the story, he's not a history. So I was feeling a little, mm, Lord, This is either going to get affirmed or thrown out. 
Uh, so I was encouraged when <laughs> when you ended in the conversation with us. But on that note, John, how did you wrestle with yourself and how do you respond to perhaps some of those voices or concerns out there that have never taken a chronological approach to the life of Christ and perhaps would even question the merit of it? I do recognize that and I've, I've encountered that myself and had to wrestle through it myself too. Because when you're learning to study scripture, the most foundational rule of all interpretation of scripture is that context is king, right? Yeah. And we all know that everything said, even, even just one sentence taken out of context, completely changes its meaning. And here these events from Jesus' life are presented by each of the gospel authors in a very clear context. And so is it legitimate to pull those events out of the author's context and put them in the historical context to ask different questions? Because, of course, if we're studying the Gospel of John and you study an event in Jesus' life, it has mm -hmm. a very specific meaning in John's flow of thought and John's argument in that context. Is it legitimate to say, does it have a meaning outside of that context? And as I really wrestled with this and thought through that, I realized that there are different hermeneutical principles that you apply when looking at something that is simply in the flow of a teaching passage mm -hmm. and principles that you apply to something that is a historical event referred to in scripture. So right. when you're looking at the teaching that's involved, your whole question is one of context. So when we come and we look at a harmony of the Gospels and break Jesus' life down chronologically and just take little clues that are in it, that this happened after Jesus had done this or when he knew yeah. that the Pharisees has heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, then he did this. Then we can take all those clues and lay Jesus' life out chronologically. And the fact that it was a historical narrative lets us yeah. ask questions about it that aren't asked by the gospel writers. We can say, when we look at these events, was there a strategy? What's the significant that this happened before this or after that? And so when I really worked through that, it enabled me to relax and say, okay, it's legitimate to treat the events of Jesus' life this way, to ask these questions and walk away with enormous lessons about the strategy of Jesus. So that's excellent. I know that when we do our fun exercise at our shift retreats often, and in many of the facilitators will have a whole lot of cards or bits of paper with events from the life of Christ, and they're just all jumbled. And of course, pastors, preachers of the word are so familiar with every single event. And yet the simple exercise is there, can you arrange these in chronological order of Jesus' life? <laughs> it's Everyone starts <laughs> yeah. to smile because they realize, I've never even asked that question before. And yet yes. so, so much more can be gained 
from placing them in that historical context. So, John, when you look at a chronological approach to the life of Jesus, as you've already said, the gospel writers weren't given to focus on that. And so they don't actually present a clear chronology. How does one study that without getting totally confused, flicking back and forwards and back and forwards? Yeah, right. Well, uh, if each of us had to sort of figure out the chronology of the life of Jesus and every event that we're talking about and go back in deep study to figure out where it fits in, that would be all we were doing. That would be difficult. (laughs) So we're so grateful that we have what's called a harmony of the gospel. That's the result of careful research and analysis many years ago and has turned out to be really what's been accepted by scholars as the de facto chronology of Jesus' life, mm-hmm. put together by A.T. Robertson and uh, followed by many others. And if you buy a harmony of the Gospels, you'll find that it contains every word that's in the Gospels, all four Gospels, but put in the order that they happened chronologically and just using Mm. hints in the Gospels that this happened before that happened or after this feast. And it takes these kinds of things and fits those events into chronological order, and then it'll have columns. So if only the Gospel of John refers to an event, there's one column referring to that event. If two of the writers did, there's two columns. If all four did, you have four columns. And it's fascinating to look at. And it actually gives you insight as to the purpose of each gospel writer, because you see that Luke might cover an event in three verses, where Matthew gives 20 verses to that same event or teaching portion of Jesus. And you say, okay, What is it that's different in what Matthew wants to communicate that makes him want to cover this in so much detail, where Luke covers it briefly? But Luke might spend a lot more time on a different event. And so it's fascinating. But this resource really helps us look at and study Jesus' life and ask the questions we want to ask. Yeah, John, I can really see that we're wanting to deal with the scriptures with integrity and a high authority of the Word of God. And yet we're also taking seriously that Jesus lived his life chronologically. It is a real history of him in his humanity living his life a day at a time, a week at a time, a year at a time. And that's how he grew his ministry, from nothing to something, and then launched the movement as he gave the Great Commission, and it continues today. How do you personally use the harmony and use the chronology of the life of Christ as you unpack it in Shift M2M sessions with leaders and cohorts. What I love about Shift M2M is that our purpose in Shift M2M isn't to study the life of Christ and walk away with a great understanding of the life of Christ, but our purpose is that church leaders will model their approach to ministry on Jesus' approach. Uh, So it's not just a knowledge-based thing, but it's really practical. How are we going to work out these movement-building principles in our own ministry? So Mm. to me, the harmony is the data. And when we get in a shift M2M group as a facilitator, I'm taking people to the harmony, helping them see, here's what Jesus is doing in this phase of his ministry. Mm -hmm. And then... 
we ask them questions and they start chewing on that data to go deeper in their understanding. Okay, I never realized this before, that Jesus' whole set of objectives have changed as he moves to a new phase. And and they start grappling with that. Often that's very new for people. And there's a lot of fun even in watching people discover those things. And then we start asking different questions as we spend more time. We start helping them integrate those principles and say, well, how is that different from what we do in our churches? Well, how could we move towards that? And then what are some specific things you can do with believers at this stage in your ministry that would help them move forward in the way that Jesus was working with people on? So the harmony is like our textbook almost. It it gives us that data, but it's only the purpose is not knowledge, right? Uh, I remember someone saying, you don't buy a telescope to look at the telescope. (laughs) You buy a telescope to look through the telescope to worlds beyond. And you don't get a harmony. You don't even read the Bible to know the Bible. If that's your goal, so you can win arguments about theology, well, you've totally missed the point. Uh, And the reason we study the harmony is not just a new understanding of Jesus, although that is so much there. It's so that we ourselves can move our ministries in a very significant direction. Yeah. And I know that we've often talked together about the fact that, in a sense, there's nowhere to hide as a facilitator when we're digging in in this way in the life of Christ, because the first place it has to apply is to ourselves, That's to me right. and my life and my ministry and, and how am I being intentional and you know, where where is my disciple making at and how do I nudge it forward? How do I model my own life and ministry off the model of Jesus? What are some ways that you've seen that impact you since you've engaged in the last decade with the, the shift journey? Yeah, it's impacted me in a big way. I remember when we first started Shift M to M and you and I were headed up to the Blue Mountains with groups of pastors and ministry leaders and we're trying to help them think differently. And I remember seeing the impact on those guys as they started wrestling with these things. And it just made me so fulfilled in working with you and taking them on this journey. And I think it was maybe in the middle of our second group that we were taking through the material that I really started thinking, okay, you know, the little M and the big M in shift M to M The little Mm. M is ministry, and the big M is movement building. And, of course, we see Jesus doing both of those, right, in such a powerful way, life-changing ministry in people's lives. But his focus, even in doing ministry, was on movement building, what he was doing with the disciples. And to see that impact pastors and other ministry leaders was great. But... I sense God starting to challenge me. What about ambassadors for Christ, John? (laughs) You're doing a lot of ministry with churches in the area of evangelism. But what would it look like if you changed your focus to fan into flames a movement of evangelism Mm. in churches across Australia? Well, that was a completely different question. And... I started wrestling with that. I started sort of getting a little bit of a vision of what that could look like. And Mm -hmm. 
uh, over the next few years, uh, we launched Evangelism Shift, a movement building approach to evangelism. And I looked at our schedule of what we were doing before that and after that and changed 85% of our ministry activity when we made that move. And uh, we've never looked back. The scope and impact of our ministry has expanded so much through a movement building approach. Yeah, it's been so fun to watch it. Your excitement level and your expectation level just doubled up as well, you know, as that change in focus took place. But pretty bold to to sort of say as a leader, when we're faced with those times when we say, you know, I could change what I'm doing to what I believe is more aligned to the life of Jesus, but that has a whole lot of risk. Or I could stay safe in what I'm competent to do. And I yeah. must say, my shame, too often I'm, I prefer safety than the risk of, of obedience. But when we say we're going mm-hmm. this way and we make the shift, if I could use the title of our podcast, God honours that and there's fruitfulness that flows that could not otherwise flow. What, what have you seen as outcomes that have been different from you and Ambassadors for Christ making the shift? Yeah, I see outcomes both within our ministry. So this move is so clearly strategic, right? Mm. You recognize that you've been doing really good ministry. It's having an impact. But here's something we could do that is so much more strategic. And this is why. And here's the multiplication impact of it. Well, when you make that kind of a move, other capable strategic leaders are attracted to that. And our ministry team has grown with other people who are strategically minded, built around a strategic vision. It's really been great. Our team has grown, even the funding for our ministry, significant financial partners have come alongside of Mm -hmm. us because Mm -hmm. there's a strategic approach. Then you think of the output, the outcome of our ministry. And I mean, I just smile as I think over the various churches that we've worked with. We go into a church and we spend two years in relationship Mm -hmm. with them, not only one church, but two years engaged with a church, first year just with their leadership and helping them learn to live the life of a witness, second year we take them through shift end to end the leadership yeah. as they reform their whole strategic approach to their ministry and move towards a movement building model. And then a couple of leaders from that church come with us to take another church on that same journey. And one of the facilitators takes one of them to another church. The other facilitator takes another one of them to a different church. And after yeah. two years, then they take someone from that church to another church. And so we're seeing churches that are changing their end goal from let's have a healthy church or let's make strong Christians to churches having an outward vision of how can we reach our community? How can we activate our believers as witnesses? And how can we multiply this beyond just what's happening here? So In church after church, we're seeing a change of perspective, a change of DNA, a change of church culture. And not only that, but they're coming with us to help other churches go on that same journey. 
Yeah, it's been very exciting to watch that unfold, and I've just really been cheering loudly for you along the whole way. Change, of course, is always the big challenge. You know, I've had people ask at different times, so, you know, how do you measure the effectiveness of shift? And they're wanting to see, you know, clear success criteria. You know, uh, Church A did shift, and they went from this to that. Now today, they're a mega church, they, you know, some simplistic formula. But I, of yeah. course, I often say to people, you know what? The first change that happens is a change in mindset. Leaders have to see things differently; they have to think differently, or else no change in actions can happen. Once they think differently, they have a new mindset. They start to think as a movement building leader and looking at disciple making as the goal. Then they have to wrestle with changing culture as well as structures. And sometimes in that process, it becomes bogged down or perhaps it's not possible in the here and now to do that. Have you seen different degrees of implementation? And what's your encouragement to leaders who are perhaps in the middle of trying to make that kind of a change? Yeah, we sure have. And even we've seen different degrees of implementation as we have learned and grown through working with churches. So how we're able to help churches now has just grown by leaps and bounds from when we first started Evangelism Shift. But definitely the idea of coming out of a study of the life of Christ and understanding the movement building process and saying, we're going to squeeze our whole church and every ministry of our church into a disciple-making pathway. Um, Yeah. That kind of change is too much, too soon, too quick. And churches can't handle that. People can't handle that, that much change at once. If you want to build a disciple-making movement in your church, you have to have the long view. And you have to build towards it. And you have to say, what are the first things that need to happen? And who are the first people we need to work with? And, of course, your first people to work with are the people who come to Christ, the new believers, building into them immediately the spiritual foundations, putting them in a group where you're focused on doing that, and then giving them an expectation that there's a next step. And you then take them on to the next step and you start training them in Jesus' four methods of evangelism, growing them in that. And as they prove fruitful in that, you're taking them on to developing them for a multiplication team of some kind. Uh, And you're gradually building this. And even when you've got it all in place, you're still working with a narrower group of people. And then sharing about that all the time with others and drawing other people gradually into that, but not just dismissing all of your other ministries and saying, this is all we do. There's a lot of wisdom in just gradually moving towards it. Yeah, I totally agree. We'll often say it's not about trying to focus on what seems to be the rusted on or frozen on old structures and feel like you've got to change all the old. It's rather focusing on the new, nurturing the new, shaping the new and growing the new flow and feeding the new and growing thing where there's new believers, new disciples, and people start to get more and more involved in when they can see that they can engage in that more organic process. And sometimes some of the old structures never change and uh, sometimes it's 
you just got to get on with life around that. Now, one thing, though, in this present time, and maybe we could wrap up with this, John, we've had COVID here around the world in Australia and in my city, especially in Melbourne, it's been particularly much lockdown. Everything's had this great disruption in terms of church ministry. Well, ministry as it was has ceased to exist. Everything's changed. And post COVID reality will be a different reality. What would you have as advice for us as leaders as we move into that new post COVID reality? How to take opportunity from this disruption? to perhaps engage differently? What do you see as important practical applications for leaders from the life Mm. of Christ as they move into this post-COVID season? I think there are a number of things. Uh, One I heard you say recently was that we have to recognize in this season that your Sunday church service can't become the be-all and end-all of your Mm. process for developing people in their Christian lives and ministries. And really, when you think about it, a disciple-making approach to evangelism and spiritual growth really looks at your church service as one aspect of what you're doing Mm. in people's lives, and perhaps not even the most important aspect. And so churches that truly have a disciple-making approach would not have been nearly as affected by church service shutdowns as other churches have that completely rely on that as their way of engaging people. And so we really need to think about how even this experience models for us what it might look like one day when the church in the Western world becomes persecuted or shut down more. You can see it coming, right? Gradually, our society is moving to a less accepting view of Christians and Christianity and especially evangelism. And I can very easily see how in the not too distant future, it could become illegal to do evangelism. And how are we going to reach people? Well, not in our church services, but through a process of disciple-making that involves the people in our church living as witnesses, and then what is done with those new believers, and then how we build them up and train them for effective life and ministry. We have to take great lessons from this shutdown that has come to us because of COVID and apply them to the future of the church in the Western world and say, we have got to develop a disciple-making approach to ministry. Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's a constant adventure to be learning together and growing together. And John, I just so appreciate your input in our time today. It's been fantastic. We're sure to have you back on again because I know where you live and I'll be chasing you down. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I'm been... so glad you invited me. Yeah, I love the connection we have through our study of the life of Christ. Well, John, it's just been such a delight to have you with us and sharing your insights. And I so appreciate your brother as a partner in this whole adventure together. We'll have links and details of Ambassadors for Christ and other aspects of John's ministry. You can find them in the show notes. And John, until next time, I look forward to catching up with you along the journey. God bless. 
Thanks, Bill. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode has encouraged you to pursue disciple-making movements in your ministry context and given you some practical tools along the way. Coming up next episode, Bill will be catching up one-on-one with Peter Rowenfeld to unpack his journey into making the shift and the implications it's had on his ministry ever since. To find out more, visit us at powertochange.org.au forward slash shift or find all the Shift M2M links in the show notes. We'd really appreciate it if you could share, leave a review and follow our podcast as it helps more people find us. And so we really want to remind us all, let's not forget, it's never too late to start making the shift.